Red Salute. Welcome to the Manifestering Podcast. If you want to support this project, which allows me more time to produce and release content, you can do so on my website, manifesteringpodcast.com. There's a link to my Patreon, as well as a donation button that allows you to just donate through the site itself. You can also do so on my anchor.fm page. Just search for Manifestering Podcast. Thanks so much for helping me keep revolutionary media alive. Torkel Lausen is a longtime anti-imperialist activist and writer living in Denmark. From 1970 to 1989, he was a full-time member of a communist anti-imperialist group, supporting third world liberation movements by both legal and illegal means. While members lived modest lives, over a period of almost two decades, they sent millions of dollars acquired in spectacular heists to third world liberation movements. He's the author of two books, including The Global Perspective, Reflections on Imperialism and Resistance, and his latest, The Principal Contradiction. And you can also learn more about Torkel's history and revolutionary politics in the book, Turning Money into Rebellion, the unlikely story of Denmark's revolutionary bank robbers. All three books are available from Kirsblebedeb and can be found on leftwingbooks.net. In the interview, I asked Torkel about modern-day Maoist movements around the globe, the election of Joe Biden, the political line of the organizations he was involved with, and we speak briefly about his upcoming book, Riding the Wave. So without further ado, here's my interview with Torkel Lausen. You had an interview recently on Rev Left, which for the most part encapsulated the entirety of your latest book, The Principal Contradiction. I wanted to build off the end of that talk and make it a continuation of what you spoke about there, dovetailing into a modern analysis of our current conditions and thus making it more useful to modern struggles around the globe. The last chapter from your latest book covers the potential shift back toward the nation-state as neoliberalism disintegrates. In that chapter, you mentioned the nationalism of Trump, the issues with Brexit, issues throughout Europe and the world at large. What are your thoughts on the election of Joe Biden? Biden is a known warmonger and at best a quote-unquote moderate Democrat. Do you see this as the last dying gasp of neoliberalism or a temporary delay between the likely scenario of staving off the inevitability of all-out war between imperialist nations and the divvying up of natural resources? Or are you of the mindset that it's already too late and we can't really go backwards in terms of neoliberalism? Uh, well, no, I, I, I don't think that... Um, that uh that uh, Joe Biden can go back to to uh, neoliberal uh, globalization because uh, you cannot go you, you cannot go back in in, uh, in history because uh, neoliberal globalization I, I underline globalization um, had changed the world um, in uh, many ways, so you cannot go uh, back to to how it functioned uh, 20 years or or, or 30 years uh, ago. And I think that uh, I write in my book that that the contradiction between neoliberal globalization and the nation state um, have been an important uh, um, a contradiction in 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 the last. Uh, 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 20 years, but um, 
and and with uh, globalization as a, as a dominant uh, uh, aspect, uh, at least up to the, around the financial crisis in in uh, in uh, two thousand and, and, and seven. But as I said, this uh, thirty years of neoliberal globalization have uh, uh, changed the world. It doesn't function uh, in the same way uh, anymore. So, so the character of the contradiction has has uh, changed. Uh, Ch- uh, China has uh, changed, and many other uh, countries in the global south have been industrialized. Uh, and also, the the national uh, state have have changed. When uh, neoliberalism attacked uh, the national state in in the mid seventies, uh, at least in in Europe, it was kind of a a, a social state. But the state which which uh, returned now, the the national state is more uh, right wing uh, nationalist state. And I think it's 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 also important maybe here to to underline that I think there's a big difference between between the character of the national state in in, in U.S. and and in uh, Europe and and I and and I will say that 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 you know here at least here here in in the Scandinavian uh, and maybe also in northwestern Europe in in general on the continent. Uh, the state, uh, the state penetrates uh, economy uh, to some extent and try to to control uh, economy. But but uh, in the United States, uh, capital penetrates uh, politics uh, much more. You you can even say that I think that that uh, Trump in that sense is is uh, neoliberal because he. He runs the state of America as a as 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 a firm, uh, as a incorporated. Um, That's a great uh, point. Yeah, and you you know, for for instance, uh, for one year or one and a half year ago, he wanted to buy Greenland from from uh, Denmark, and in that connection, he said, "Well, basically, it's just a." Uh, Big real estate uh, contract, a big real estate uh, uh, sale, and and this underlines that he doesn't think uh, uh, in a, in a political way. He 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 is not a president of a nation with citizens. He's running uh, U.S. Incorporated, and and uh, he he you know you are fired, and it's all the terms and mm-hmm. and the thinking about running a, a firm which which penetrate. His way of uh, management—it's—it's—it's not—and—and uh, and in that way, it's—it's it's very neoliberal because what is characterized by neoliberalism is that—that it's—that uh, it makes even politics into business and and the and the values and and, and the management system from business go into into politics uh, also, and in that way. He kind of uh, showed the character of the American uh, state. He's unpolished, and and uh, it's not like Joe Biden. He has been a politician all all his life, and and talks another language. But I think basically, the character of the state uh, is the same. So it's have just been 
revealed by by the area of thought that this is the character of the American state. I think yes. So so in that way, I I I don't think that 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 we will go back to to neoliberal globalization. Uh, we we might go back. We will still have neoliberalism in 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 America, but but. Uh, it will be a more nationalistic uh, form of uh, of neoliberalism, and why that? That's because that that because of this change uh, which neoliberalism itself has created in the world uh, economy. America, U.S. is no longer the dominance in the world economic wise. So they so they cannot. Uh, they cannot uh, run this neoliberal globalization as they could 20 or, or, th- or 30 years uh, ago. We are moving into this uh, multi-polar uh, uh, world instead of uh, this uh, U.S. hemogeny. Uh, so I think U.S. is, is, is changed in uh, that sense. Sorry about, about this long um, <laughs> explanation. On the topic of imperialism, and really the theme of your latest book, The Principal Contradiction, the question of how to foment revolution, propagandize, and build a people's army in the imperialist centers requires identifying the principal contradiction. What's your opinion on the situation in developed nations and the best course of action in 2020? I live in the States, and an organization like the MCP or Maoist Communist Party pushed the line that the principal contradiction here is the question of national liberation for people of color. We've seen defund the police and Black Lives Matter campaigns here in the West due to pigs murdering innocent people in the streets, in their homes, and really everywhere possible. What's your take on the question of how we deal with the current principal contradiction in the imperialist metropoles? Mm-hmm. Well, um, I, I think that, that uh, I don't think that this is the, the principal's uh, contradiction uh, in the world, we can. Uh, I, I, I think at the moment the, the the principal contradiction in the world is between uh, our way of production and our uh, and our way of of uh, living uh, uh, versus uh, uh, nature and 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 the actual process is is the the pandemic, but this will pass. Um, this will pass uh, in uh, in a half year, or six months, or, or in a, mm. a, a year, at least in in our part uh, of of the world. But then there is, I, I think, at least I, I I think there are two or three big contradictions which is luring in the nearer horizon. And one is uh, a new uh, global economic uh, crisis. Uh, because of the enormous uh, uh, debt which is uh, rising, uh, uh, trillions of, of uh, dollars are being either printed or issued in, in state bonds uh, without without any um, uh, basic in in production of goods and and uh, services to save uh, capitalism, and this is this huge amount of Pumping out of of uh, money in a historical uh, dimension uh, could explode in a in a very serious uh, crisis. This one thing, I think the other 
the other contradictions with lowering the horizon is is the this the confrontation between uh, uh, U.S., which which tried to to uh, hold on to to its dominant position in the world versus uh, mostly versus uh, China, but also the Soviet Union. And this contradiction could also move into to a kind of, of Cold War, and even maybe a, 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 a hot war. And the third contradiction is, of course, this contradiction of of climate uh, the problems, and um, and these three contradictions, I think, will will can uh, kind of uh, interact uh, with each other in all kinds of, of uh, strange ways and create, mm-hmm. uh, I think, a very uh, dramatic uh, next year. And I, I I think that there is a, a, a contradiction uh, in in the U.S. Uh, about this um, indigenous people and uh, like the Black Panther movement in mm-hmm. the 70s and but 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 it's not uh, it's it's not uh, uh, it's not contradictions which which uh, determine the way that capitalism moves um, it, it, it's it's minor contradictions which which of course can give some feedback to the principal con- contradiction but they are not the the, the driving force uh, uh, in in uh, what's going on in society and in uh, in uh, the, the capitalism. I think it's one of the problems with 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 uh, Maoism as it have been practiced in in our part of of the world is that it takes um, it takes specific contradictions. From other places, from China in the 30s, or China, uh, or, or Vietnam in the 70s, and and plant them uh, uh, in, in in the U.S. in, in 2021. Sure. And, and, and it's very yeah. dangerous. It's very dangerous to to, uh, and it has it has always been a, a problem with the with the Maoism to use uh, the Little Red Book or or quotations from Mao and supplant them in in uh, situations which is uh, in another time and another place and, and this is uh, it's have always been a problem I think it's 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 not a people's war which is going on in the streets of of the, of the United States. Mm. Well, well, well. I I I think that uh, many people. Like for instance, people of color in 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 the U.S. It could also be immigrants uh, in uh, in uh, Europe. And if you ask them what they want, it's not uh, a revolution or a change of 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 the capitalist system. They want to be integrated in a kind of welfare system. The black mm-hmm. people want to have the same the same opportunities at. at as uh, middle-class uh, white people, the immigrants want a, 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 a job. They wanted to be integrated in in the system. This is their this is their goal. Uh, I think more than to uh, uh, change uh, the system. And this and this is why they they see okay the system is not perfect. But 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 it's uh, giving the majority of of the uh, population of the population 
a fair living standard, and I want to be integrated in in uh, uh, that. I think that that you have to have a much more deeper economic uh, economic crisis in in U.S. and and in Europe to have a good response when you uh, uh, present a revolutionary uh, alternative. Because now it's it's I I think it's they will choose uh, the integration and 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 the reform uh, on the capitalist uh, system. So it's very difficult to present the, the revolutionary perspective in our part of the world. Yeah, but, but, but that doesn't mean that there isn't a struggle which are worth fighting. Maybe they are not the direct way to, to revolution, but they are also important struggle to uh, 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 race and to also because it supports struggles in, in other parts uh, of the world. It's always important to to uh, struggle against the imperialist uh, um, in, intervention in, in other countries. Uh, it's always uh, 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 important to struggle against fascism and racism in, in the in the uh, belly of the beast in, in these kinds of, of struggles. They are not leading to anti-capitalist revolution, but, but they are anyway important struggles. Going backwards just a bit, I genuinely related to your entrance into leftist politics in the late 60s. You mentioned in your latest interview that you were attracted to the movement due to the Vietnam War as a 17-year-old. I personally was pulled into the movement as a 17-year-old as well, fighting against the Iraq War. If you can just touch on that experience, finding community and resistance, fighting for something bigger and beyond oneself, and how it led to your current work. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, I, I, I think it, it, I, I was radicalized uh, by the spirit of, of, uh, of 68. And, and I think in, in, in that point, it, it's, it's uh, important to, to mention uh, Maoism because um, I, I joined uh, a party uh, which was uh, or an organization, a small organization which was formed in 1964 actually uh, as one of the first pro-Chinese uh, communist parties, if not the first in, in, uh, in Western Europe. And the reason the reason for the formation of this, uh, this uh, organization, uh, it was uh, formed by around 50 or 60 persons from the Danish uh, Communist Party, the, the pro-Moscow Danish uh, Communist Party in, in, uh, in 64. And, and the reason why they uh, broke up uh, was that they basically, they, they thought that that uh, after the the 20 congress uh, of the communist party in, in 56 and when the moscow uh, uh, the the soviet communist party began with this um, peaceful coexistence and competition uh, with the with the capitalist world they felt that they had you know lost the the revolutionary the revolutionary spirit um, in 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 uh, in some way, which which is very important. It it was, you know, the existence of of the Soviet Union in 1917. 
it raised a revolutionary spirit uh, all over the world at uh, that time and also in the 20s. And in exactly the same way, I think that uh, that there was this revolutionary uh, spirit in uh, in the mid um, uh, 60s, uh, which was uh, lighted by uh, uh, the Cultural Revolution and and uh, and uh, and uh, Mao Zedong, and and this was uh, it was a huge inspiration uh, from uh, from many communists uh, all over the world, not <laughs> only in the Euro, but uh, also, if you go around uh, and look at the liberation movements in the late 60s and the beginning of the 70s, you will see that many, many of them were very inspired by by uh, the Chinese uh, uh, Communist Party. So it was this, it was this, um, it was this uh, Communist Party that its uh, right to rebel and bombard the headquarters and, and this kind of of uh, of, um, of um, slogans, which which was very uh, important uh, at at uh, the time, and uh, this uh, because I uh, you can say that that I I don't think that that uh, that Maoism was was very sophisticated in in their analysis of of political uh, economy of the imperialism. And, and, uh, and so on, but they have uh, this uh, this uh, revolutionary spirit, I, I think, which was uh, important uh, at the time. And it was it was this which uh, which turned me on uh, at at, uh, at at least. Um, and then it was, of course, as you mentioned, the the, the Vietnam War and the Vietnamese struggle. Which also had this uh, revolutionary uh, uh, spirit, which I think that that the Soviet Union had uh, lost uh, at the time, and therefore I think, and therefore I think that Maoism uh, was very uh, important. I think they very fast lost that spirit already uh, in 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 seventy. Uh, they started their reapproachment with uh, it was in '72. Nixon visited Mao Zedong, and they began with this uh, third world uh, theory, uh, which um, which changed the whole uh, picture of uh, Maoism, uh, I think. So um, yeah, and but then it, uh, when I joined this party, they rather fast started to to criticize the Communist Party because they had some, uh, we read in Peking Review that there was a, a revolutionary process going on in in uh, England and in Scandinavia and in Germany and, and so on. And we wanted to to um, discuss that with them and say it, it, it was not, uh, there was no Upcoming revolution in in, uh, in Western uh, Europe at the time, so we very quickly come into conflict with, with the Chinese Communist Party, and they broke up uh, uh, the relationships uh, already in '69, uh, uh, I think, and then we started to developing our own uh, political theory from there. Yes. Taking a look at the current Maoist movement, 
There seems to be a possible misconception about the organizations you've been involved with in the past concerning the question of third worldism, i.e. the political line ascribed to these groups concerning the question of an absence of a proletariat in the imperialist centers. Was that the outlook of the organizations you were involved in? Or do you support the line that there is indeed a proletariat in imperialist countries? Well, uh, we, we uh, at, at the time, uh, if, if we go back to, to 67, uh, 68, uh, uh, most of the members of the organizations uh, was working uh, in big factories and shipyards and metal construction uh, firms and so on uh, in uh, in uh, Copenhagen. So besides theoretical studies, we have a lot of, of discussions with 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 uh, fellow uh, workers about how was their outlook uh, on on the world uh, at the time, and it gave us the impression that they were not very interested in. In, in, in socialism or revolution, they were interested in getting higher wages and more holidays and all kinds of, of uh, economic uh, benefits uh, within the system, and they thought they could get it with, within the system. So, so we came rather quickly to the conclusion that that uh, that uh, it was not like a, a dry uh, savan which could be lighted up by by a fire it, it was a, a very uh, wet uh, surface which we could not uh, light on a revolutionary uh, thing there so um but uh, uh, our strategy was very was very simple that, that there was a revolutionary spirit in the third world and we should support that because if if they if they managed to establish socialist regimes, they could cut uh, over the pipelines to imperialism, and that would create uh, an economic problem and economic crisis here. And then uh, we could raise the, the, the question of of uh, revolution uh, here. So, uh, and so this was basically the the, the strategy to support uh, revolutions in the third world. Um, and then to go back to our own society, but it was uh, we we kept the perspective of a revolution in our uh, own uh, society, and that was also why we chose this specific uh, military strategy of going uh, under uh, under not underground but on cover, mm-hmm. because then we if we go underground we would be chased up and jailed very quickly by the state or it was the experience in Germany and Italy and France and everywhere. But if you go if you go undercover, uh, we could uh, we could uh, survive and an, as an organization and learn from our illegal practices and use them uh, in the future in, 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 in our organization. And we ac- actually managed to to survive nearly 20 years as an undercover organization instead of an underground uh, organization, and we could use the, the lessons and the experience from the from the legal world in, in, in to build out uh, our organization, our legal organization, which existed parallel with the with, uh, with, with the undercover world. So this was the basic I, 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 idea of 
of the, the strategy. What's the current state of leftism, communism, and more specifically Maoist movements in Denmark? Well, in, I think there's no, there's, there, there's no, uh, all the Maoists here are completely uh, strange and crazy and um, they know, they, they speak about the situation here as we were in, in this, in the seventies, or, or, yeah, the, of, of the, of the, all the, all the thirties in, in, uh, in, uh, China, they, they, yeah, dogmatic. Yeah, yeah, so so it's so it's not uh, a very strong uh, or interesting uh, current. There are here in Copenhagen maybe there are five or ten uh, of this kind of of, of uh, Maoists, uh, and I don't think it's the same in, in other European countries. It's not a very it's not a very strong uh, current. I think it's stronger in, in the U.S. due to due to the history and so on. The, the Maoists have always been stronger in, in Norway, strange enough, but this is because uh, Norway has a border to, in the north part of Norway, they have a border into the Soviet Union. And because of a nationalist current in the Norwegian people, you could not be a pro-communist, uh, Soviet communist in Norway. So you had, because they had this border <laughs> with Soviet Union. So, <laughs> So, uh, so therefore, the the pro Chinese uh, communist was uh, have always been stronger in, in uh, Norway. Yeah, a strange. Yeah. Looking across the globe at the current revolutionary movement, such as the CPP in the Philippines, the work of the CPI Maoist in India, movements in Turkey, and through other parts of the world, how do you feel about Maoism in the current age? As someone who's been through decades of this movement, do you feel hopeful by the current state of affairs? The only one I I have followed uh, is is the is uh, the Maoist in the Philippines because we had some uh, work with them back in, in the seventies and and the eighties uh, also, and uh, and I have um, I have actually also met. Uh, Sison uh, a couple of times, and um, so I have followed them, and um, and I, it's it, it, it's uh, my perception that that they still have uh, a basis in uh, the Philippines, uh, in uh, some areas uh, of uh, the Philippines, but they have you know they have gone up and down uh, several times, and and they have had some serious mistakes from from time to time also uh, in times of tactic and, and uh, in strategy and I, I, I don't think they are finished I, I think they still have uh, a future but uh, I think that they have to um, they have I, I think that's a lot of, of dogmatism in, in uh, the Maoist movement. Uh, um, which they have to cut loose of. They they have to um, they have to um, they have to develop their theory. I think in, in many perspectives, if they want to go forward uh, successfully, because they are very uh, one of the big burdens. I I think for for for. for uh, revolutionary work in the global south is actually 
socialism is a very bad brand due to uh, due to history. Uh, this is, I think, if 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 and and if you see what's going on, if not in the Philippines, but but in India or in, in the Maoist the movement, but if you see what's going on in the global south uh, in the recent years, it's that that you see many many spontaneous uh, uh, revolutions. Uh, people want another government, another president. Uh, they want uh, cheaper goods. They want uh, a lot of things. That's going on in, in Iraq and Lebanon and in uh, Chile and in, uh, in uh, many countries, many different countries that have been this kind of spontaneous situation. But they don't have, I think, um, they don't have a clear vision of what they want instead of the president or in, in, instead of this uh, regime which they which they want to get uh, rid of they don't have a clear strategy to move beyond demonstrations and meeting on squares and they don't have a, a they don't have the, the organizations which can can make a, a radical uh, transformation so they need organizations they need uh, Visions and they need the strategy very much, and this is a huge uh, problem for all these uh, movements, uh, which is popping up uh, all the time. Um, and they could learn something from the past, but the past also have to have to um, get rid of some of the, the, the dogmatism. I, I I think, but we we really need some kind of of the of transfer of experience and learning from the old generation to what is going on now, because um, it's a huge problem that the objective transformation, the objective conditions for for transformation in the world is is very good. So there's a lot of crisis. I, I think that capitalism is in deep crisis, both economically and uh, politically, uh, but the subjective forces are not very strong and are very unorganized. And that is the problem. I even think that the that the objective condition is, is better than in the 60s and the 70s. Uh, capitalism is, is uh, I think, really in, in a deep shift. But, but if you compare to the to 70s, the problem is now that, that the subjective forces are so, so unorganized and have no idea precisely what they want and how to reach it. Just to let the audience know, your latest book, The Principal Contradiction, is published by Chris Blubadeb and can be found on leftwingbooks.net. I'll definitely link to that in the show notes if you want to pick up a copy, which I highly recommend. Is there anything you would like to promote concerning your future work? Yes, um, uh, Carl is going to publish another book of mine in I've just sent it uh, to him and, and he will edit it in, in January. Uh, it's called uh, Riding the Wave, and it's mm. about uh, it's about uh, the integration of of Scandinavia in the uh, imperialist uh, system from the 16th century and up to up to uh, today. But it's also the history of of social democracy uh, and and the limits of of social de democracy because the Scandinavian social democracy is a kind of identity type of 
of social democracy. And I think it's very, many left-wing people think that we can walk the first step together with the social uh, democrats and even it's halfway to socialism. You know? There's a lot of, of I, I think, um, things about the, the social democracy which which have to be told especially to an American or audience because they have this uh, many illusions uh, about the, the possibilities of, of social uh, democracy. Yes. Absolutely. Kind of that question between reform and revolution that Rosa Luxemburg brought up so many years ago in her fight against Bernstein's ideas. And I couldn't agree more about the situation in the U.S. and many activists needing to learn from history when it comes to the question of social democracy, especially when we see so much support for people like Bernie Sanders and AOC or the political line of an organization like the DSA. So definitely looking forward to it. Well, Torkel, that's all I have for you for now. I can't thank you enough for taking the time to join the show. Oh, and thank you for letting me speak on your um, radio. And uh, I, I, I would love to uh, return. Yeah. So there you have it, my interview with Torkel Lawson. If you'd like to purchase any of his books, there's links in the show notes. Or you can head to leftwingbooks.net. If you want to support my work, which is always greatly appreciated, there will be links to do so in the show notes as well. Just a quick preview of what's coming down the pike for myself. I'm working on a project with the Red Spark website to produce an audio wrap-up of the articles and stories covered on the site. The first episode should drop near the end of this month. I'm still sorting out the details as far as if I want to make it a bi-weekly thing or just a monthly wrap-up at the end of every month. As you're aware, I'm definitely busy with the audiobook archive, and I do work a full-time job as well, so time is limited. If you have any questions about any of my projects or just want to chat, the best way to reach me is either through Twitter at ManifestPod, or you can contact me through my website, manifestoringpodcast.com.